My sermon is titled, The Sermon That Wasn't. Yeah, this sermon, in many ways, I feel like it's a bird with broken wings that I'm trying to make fly here. Because that's how this year has felt so far for me. I don't know how your year has been going. Uh, 2024 has not been off to a good start. And the way I typically plan sermons out is I have this giant eight-foot whiteboard, which is the first purchase I ever made for Awaken. When I started a church and we started receiving donations, I said, in order for me to do my work, I need an eight-foot wide whiteboard in my office so I can write all these ideas and plan and see everything up on the board. The way I plan my sermons is I, I begin creating these columns, and then I'll have the next four or five or six sermons put up there on the whiteboard so when I'm sitting at my desk, I can always look and I see what the next six topics or ideas are, scripture passages. I can kind of see where I'm going over the next couple of weeks. Then what I'll do is I'll, I'll begin writing notes in each of those columns. Oh, I just have some inspiration for this idea. Oh, wow, you know what? We're going to be talking about forgiveness five weeks from now. I just had an experience with this or I just had a conversation with someone. I just read a quote. I read a story. I have this illustration. That's how I'll plan out all my sermons. I had January sermons into February, put up on the whiteboard probably middle of December, and I continued to find myself over the past couple of weeks just staring at a blank whiteboard, which when you have an eight-foot wide whiteboard, that's a whole lot of white space, <laughs> uh, which can create some anxiety uh, because you come here expecting that the person who's up here is going to say something meanif- meaningful and relevant for you that's going to help you in your life and relevant for your faith in Christ and what it means to be a person who follows Jesus. So the more I stared at that whiteboard, the harder or the more anxiety, I guess, began to stir up within me. But I had an idea for this week. And I had this idea probably about five weeks ago. So I wrote this little idea on my whiteboard, but it took up just a minuscule amount of space. And I hadn't began to start working through this idea, but but I knew what I was going to talk about. And what I wanted to talk about was this. There are two passages in the Bible that I wanted to reference here for us. First is found in the the book of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, now this is very, very early in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is just going around collecting disciples. He's beginning his public ministry. We're only in the first chapter of John, so of course we're at the beginning of the story. So John was there again with two of his disciples. And we're talking about John the Baptist right here. Now, when John saw Jesus passing by, he said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. How would you like to be John? You have your posse, the people that are following you, and you're like, hey, look at him over there. And all of a sudden, the disciples, they cut and run and they follow Jesus. So two people who have been following you, but John has no ego. He has no ego here in this because he wants to pursue Jesus as well. So he's totally okay allowing Jesus to eclipse him. He's totally fine with these two disciples leaving him and now going to follow Jesus. Imagine if we were all egoless. (laughs) Can we stop there? Is that enough? (laughs) Turning around, Jesus saw them following and he asked, What do you want? Odd question. 
Isn't Jesus supposed to be collecting followers? Isn't that what he's about? Now, all of a sudden, he has the thing that he's looking for. He turns around, and he asks them, hey, what do you want? I, I wonder, what do you think was the tone of that? You think it was, what do you want? Was it, what do you want? Was it a gentle, probing, intriguing question? Or was it, what are you guys doing following me? What's going on here? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? To which Jesus says, come, and you will see. He is now inviting them into his life. The question that I wanted to raise for us as we began a new year, 2024, is this question that Jesus first asked these two disciples, what do you want? Because I think this is a question that Jesus is asking us all the time. What do you want for your life? What do you want for this year? What are your hopes for 2024? What are your desires? Where do you hope to receive some healing? Where do you need a little more peace? I mean, I think that's a great question to begin a year with. What do you want for this year? What do you hope for? This is the question that Jesus asks his disciples immediately as they begin following him. This is very interesting, to me at least, because Jesus doesn't turn around, tell them to sit down, and then give them a list of commandments or things that they have to do in order to follow him. Hey, listen, I see you two guys following me. Here's how it's going to go down. If I'm going to allow you into my life, here's the things that I'm going to need you to do. Here's a list of the requirements of what it means to follow Jesus. He does none of this. Instead, he simply asks the question, what do you want? To which they respond, and then Jesus immediately invites them into his life. Almost as if, hey, the things that you're looking for, the desires that you have, you will find them as you participate in life with me. The hopes, the dreams, the longings that you have. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, all those things that you carry bottled up within you, you will come to see their fulfillment as you journey with me. Not a list of requirements, but rather an invitation into a way of living. And then here's another scripture passage in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus and his disciples. Now, we're in Matthew 20, so we're obviously a little bit further in the life of Jesus. John was at the beginning of the story. Matthew 20 is a little bit further down the line here. Jesus has been doing his thing for a while. Jesus and his disciples, they were leaving Jericho. A large crowd followed him. We had two people following him in the beginning, but now word has gotten out about who Jesus is and what his life is all about. Now a large crowd is following him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard, hey, Jesus is coming by. They heard this. They couldn't see it, but they heard Jesus, the Son of God, the healer. He will be passing in front of us. Immediately they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now the crowd rebuked them. Don't yell at him. You're just a blind beggar. You don't deserve what it is that Jesus is offering. Please keep your mouth shut. We have more important things to ask for. We don't need you interrupting Jesus because he's going to fulfill for us what we want. Please 
stay silent. But they shouted all the louder, which I love it. They didn't listen to the crowd. They didn't listen to those telling them to stifle their dreams. But they shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. And I love this question right here. This is like a comedy sketch routine right here. Where Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, we're blind? <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Lord, uh, we want our sight. <laughs> hey, can you uh, have Burger King delivered over here? No, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Here's that question again, right? What do you want me to do for you? Beginning of the ministry, two disciples, what do you want me to do for you? Here we are a little bit later. Lord, Lord, Jesus, son of David, to which Jesus asked, what is it that you truly Desire. That's a question for us as we begin 2024. What do we want? What do we desire? Now, for me, as I thought about this question for the beginning of this year, what I wanted was a normal year. The past couple of years have been anything but normal. They have been disruptive as anything. I desperately desired a normal year year, an easy year, a peaceful year, a year in which everything went the way in which it's supposed to go. I wanted a focused start to the year. I have a few projects that I'm working on. I really wanted a focused start. January 1 or January 2, whatever it was, laser focus on the things that are right there in front of me. Uh, we wanted a year of health uh, because it has not been... Uh, past couple of years of health for our family, been dealing with uh, chronic respiratory infections, lots of different sickness. This year, wanted a year of health, a year of peace. Most of all, wanted a good year. And as I said, we're three weeks into the year. None of that has come to pass. If you have set resolutions in the beginning, maybe you feel yourself a little bit where I am, where you're like, well, we're three weeks in and I am so far from those resolutions. You had all these good intentions, and then life happens. This was the sermon that I had, and then I was going to continue building on it, uh, but then life these past three weeks happened, and I realized, well, I don't, I don't really have much to offer here. What I thought I would do is share a little bit about what it's like to be me over the past three weeks and offer to you the three quotes that I have found over the past three weeks that are doing something within me, that are causing me to reflect on life and on the question that Jesus is asking of what do you want to do? And a uh, fair warning, the first two, uh, I almost called this sermon actually a sermon inspired by mostly Stephen King uh, because two of the three quotes are from Stephen King. Because that's what I've been reading this year so far. Uh, my kids wake up really early in the morning, which means I progressively wake up earlier and earlier. 
I love to have some time in the morning to myself. And when I know the kids wake up early, somehow my internal alarm clock wakes me up even earlier. So I have been enjoying spending early, early mornings, one morning, actually 4.30 in the morning, uh, just reading Stephen King. And it's a great way to begin a morning. So here's the first quote. Uh, the book uh, that I've been reading is Fairy Tale. Has anyone read this book? Any Stephen King fans in the room here this morning? It was pretty good. Not my favorite of his, but it definitely kept me going. I kind of blew through that one. Here's the first quote. You never know where the trap doors are in life, do you? I read that one and immediately stopped. You never know where those trap doors are. You're walking and all of a sudden, bottom falls out from under you. And then all of a sudden you, you, you find your footing and then psh, there's another trap door. You're kind of wobbly for a little bit. Maybe you've taken, you're, you're like a, a toddler learning to walk. And then finally you got a little confidence and then, psh, oh, there's another one. You have no idea where they are. Life can be going, moving along so smoothly and all of a sudden you step into something and you wonder where in the world did that come from? The truth about these trap doors is you can never plan for them. We have all these plans. We have all these expectations, all these hopes. We have our five-year plan. Some of you, you have a 15-year plan. You know exactly when you're going to retire, where you're going to go. You have it all lined up the next 20 years of your life. And then trap door. And all of a sudden, the future that you had imagined, it's no longer possible. Now, when I read this quote, I had to stop for a couple of minutes because this is how my life has felt. You never know when those trap doors will pop up. Uh, this week, <clears throat> we went to the dentist for, uh, for Reese. Monday, Martin Luther King Day, a day off. Figured we'd go to the dentist. We'd go home and enjoy the rest of the afternoon doing whatever we were going to do. Goes to the dentist. They're like, hey, we got to take a couple of pictures here to show you a few things. Get some x-rays. Hey, he has a mouthful of cavities. I'm in the room, in the exam room. This is our six-year-old son. I am steaming because he's been going to the dentist every six months for regular cleanings. Steph has mentioned to the dentist, hey, is there anything going on with this tooth over there? Because this looks a little bit weird. No, 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 no. Everything is fine. Take x-rays and find out, well, that's not true. Not Everything is not fine. They try to take these x-rays. We go home. We're like, how in the world did this happen? Like, what in the? We request a copy of the x-rays because I know another pediatric dentist. We get the x-rays, send the x-rays to him, take some pictures of, of Reese's mouth. He calls me up because he's that kind of a person. And he's like, hey, there's a lot going on here. He kind of walks me through what he thinks we're going to have to do. And then because it's a little more extensive, he recommends that we go to another dentist who has some more uh, procedures and some, some more things in place that would make this a little more of a helpful experience. We end up getting an appointment the next day with this other dentist. They, Reese goes into the room and he's always apprehensive about x-rays. Not a problem at all taking x-rays at this office. Want to know why? Because they had the properly sized bite wings. The first dentist was using adult bite wings that they were trying to mangle into his mouth. 
and he would gag every single time. I wonder why. Not an issue taking x-rays at this other dental office. Well, they get better x-rays, obviously, because they had the proper equipment. The doctor comes in, and his mind is blown. He's like, you've been going to a dentist? He is, I mean, he is livid at what has been, he's like, you know, we see this all the time. People go to the dentist, they go elsewhere, and we, we see it all the time. Now, if you are someone with kids, you're, I can see your face. You're like, oh, my gosh, are we going to the right dentist? I don't know. I don't know anymore. It's a, just a trap door. Uh, so he, he's, he looks in his mouth, and then he sends him off to play so that he can talk with me and Steph. He looks up this other doctor, tries to see the credentials. Where, where have you been going? Tells us all about this procedure, which is now this massive thing. We're talking like general anesthesia to try to deal with the whole thing. Me and Steph are beyond belief frustrated at this entire situation. You think you're doing the right thing. You think you're doing the best for your kid. And then you come to discover that the decisions that you made hadn't worked out the way in which you had expected them. You had trust someone. And they didn't follow through with their part. And then I read another quote by Stephen King a little bit later in the book. There's a dark well in everyone, I think, and it never goes dry. But you drink from it at your own, you drink from it at your peril. That water is poison. <sighs> Come on. Does Stephen King know how to write? Or does Stephen King know how to write? I mean, phew. I read that at 4.30 in the morning, and you're like, yeah, go you. <laughs> Let's get another pot of coffee going. <laughs> See, the reason why I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning, which actually happened to be my birthday, which mean, meant I was utterly exhausted the entire day, was because I was so upset at what had happened at this other dental practice. I was livid. And I was up in the morning just thinking about this and getting upset about it and what am I going to do I'm going to write them a nasty review and I mean you ever find yourself going into that dark well something happens in life and you can't help it but you begin drinking from that well and something happens to you you start to become a different person and you know you're drinking poison but it tastes so good, the feeling is so satisfying that you can't stop. Y you know what I'm talking about, right? Y you've all been there, haven't you? You get burned. Someone says something. You get screwed over. And the number one thing you want is to get even. You want revenge. You want payback for what they did. We all have this dark well. You drink from it at your own peril because it changes who you are. It moves you in a direction that if I'm being honest, and I knew it, I could feel it. I knew I was moving in a direction that really wasn't the direction that I want my life to go. Think back to that question, what do you want? I do not want to be a person of revenge and bitterness.
and rage. You do not want to be a person of unforgiveness and bitterness and rage. You do not because you know what it does. Sometimes you can't help yourself. But when you stop and think about it, you realize you really don't want to drink that poison. I had all this swirling around in my head, and then it reminded me of a quote that I had read probably the week before, and it came from the author Ryan Holiday's newsletter. And in his newsletter, he always gives the reading list for the month. And then he'll give a a short synopsis of what those books are about. He'll add a quote or two. Here's a quote from one of the books that he had in that reading list. And it's a quote from Dr. Edith Eager. Uh, She's a psychologist. She is a Holocaust survivor. She took her experience, what she had been through, kind of like what Sammy was talking about last week with Viktor Frankl. Dr. Edith Eager took her experience of being a Holocaust survivor, and then she wanted to use what she had been through to help others through traumatic experiences in their lives. And this is the advice that she had given Ryan Holiday. I think it was on a podcast, he said. He was talking about a regret that he was carrying with him, a regret for a past decision. He was talking about this with her, and she said to him, hey, I'm going I'm to give you one sentence. If I knew then what I know now, I would have done things differently. Isn't that the truth? If I knew then what I know now, well, of course, things would have gone differently. If I had this kind of information, well, yeah, then I I would have made a different decision. But then is in the past. And you can't change the then. The only thing you can focus on is now and into the future. He follows it up. Guilt is in the past. And the one thing you cannot change is the past. I had this poison that I was starting to drink. It's like an eyedropper, but, you know, you take an eyedropper and then it's a spoonful. Next thing you know, it's a giant five-gallon bucket of that poison. That's how it works. You slightly, progressively begin to take more and more of it. So I had all this swirling around, but I couldn't get this idea out of my head. If I knew then, well, yeah, of course. And so I started doing a little bit of research into this book, and I found there's another quote from her in the book. I haven't read the book, but I think I'm going to have to now. And here's one of the most highlighted quotes in the book. Uh, It's called The Choice, Dr. Edith Eager. It's the first time, and it's a bit of a, uh, from what I understand, it's, it's a memoir. So she's talking about herself. It's the first time I see we have a choice to pay attention to what we've lost or to pay attention to what we still have. And I, I found all this this week, just as I was trying to work through my situation, my anger, and what was going on in our lives. And I read this, and it's like, that is so good. It's so helpful. We all have this choice in our lives. And this is coming from someone who knows the darkness of humanity. Someone who has been through traumatic experiences, who has experienced great loss. We, we all have this choice. 
we can continue focusing on what's back there, which is just going to feed us more of that poison, or we can actually just focus on what's right here in front of us, and we can begin to piece it together and, and move forward from here. And these four quotes, I said three, I guess I kind of combined these, but these four quotes, I mean, for me, th this has been my life this past week. And when I think back on the past couple of years of my life, I think these four quotes have been sort of front and center, and these are just putting into words everything that I've been learning over the past couple of years. And, and these ideas have been extremely helpful for me in, in moving forward and actually walking forward into the person that I want to be. And then there's this third story of Jesus and I love this story. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there, who had been lying there, had been an invalid for 38 years. Imagine that. You couldn't walk for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? It's like that first question. What do you want? Or to the blind men, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? well? Yeah. Why do you think I've been here for 38 years? But it's a question. Because it's a relevant question. Because sometimes we don't want to get well. Sometimes we like drinking the poison. Sometimes we define ourselves. Our identity is formed in the bitterness that we carry within us. And to actually get well, well, I, I, whew, that's actually been uncomfortable for me because I don't know what it's like to live in that space. I'm comfortable in this space, holding a grudge, being angry, living in the past, but actually living in the now and then moving into a new future, I, I, I don't know about that. It's going to feel different. It's going to require something of me. It's going to require sacrifice. Do you want to get well? I, I, don't, I don't really know if I'm willing to let go of all that I've been holding on to for 38 years. I don't know if I'm willing to let go of that grudge that I've held within me for the past seven years. They said that seven years ago, and I, I don't know if I can let it go because it's almost as if if I let that go, I'm letting them go. I, I know it's probably better for me and healthy for me, but I, I don't really know if I want to get well. I mean, this question, it's a profound question. This is not an easy question. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. There is a partnership here. The man had to trust what Jesus was saying. Do you want to get well? well? Yeah, I want to get well. Then get up and walk. 
And then this invalid, this man who couldn't walk for 38 years, he had to do his part. Jesus is not going to wave a magic wand and make you into the person that you desire to be. You don't say a prayer, God snaps his fingers, and all of a sudden the prayer that you're asking becomes answered. Can it happen? Sure. Yes. But what I've come to see, my experience has been, there's this two-way partnership where we have a part to play in our healing. We have to put down the poison. We have to choose to not live in the past. Choose to let go. That unforgiveness that you have, God's not going to snap his fingers and it's going to be gone. You have to actively choose to let it go. And it's a process. It takes time. So maybe we're beginning a new year and maybe the words of Jesus to you are, get up. You've been asking this prayer for years. Well, I'm offering it to you, but now it's your turn to put it down. It's your turn to choose to live in this moment and to drink from a different well. As I think back over this past week, I'm slowly, because that's how it works, slowly beginning to let that anger dissipate. There's still some anger there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. But I, I can't do anything about what's happened. The only thing I can do is now move forward into the future with the knowledge that I do have. If I knew then, well, yeah, of course, but that never happens. We never know then what we know now. So that's for us as we begin 2024. What do you want? And what's the invitation that Jesus is offering? Where are you being asked to get up and walk in a new direction? Now, when I think about Awakened Membership, this is what I mean by Awakened Membership. (laughs) We put Jesus at the center here at Awaken. And I believe we're all on a path of following Jesus, of moving in the direction of the life that Jesus is offering. And when we talk about what does it mean to be a member here at Awaken, it means that this is the community that you are committing to for this year on your walk with Jesus. So if you look around the room, Look around the room. (laughs) These are the people that you are committing to. These are the people that you're on the journey with. And it's a journey that you can't do solo. You can't do it on your own. You don't want to do it on your own anyway. Think about the man who was by the pool there. I I got no one, no one to help me. And so I've been there for 38 years because I didn't have anyone to walk through life with, to journey with. So you look around the room, and these are the people that you commit to to be on that journey with you, of learning what does it mean to live in the life of Jesus? What does it mean to be a person of new life? A person who lives in the salvation of Christ. A A person who learns to let go of that bitterness and to be a person of 
forgiveness, of mercy, of peace for the whole world. We learn it here. We do it together. So we join together on Sunday mornings. We have different activities. We serve our neighbors together at Awaken. We go out and we show this world together the love of Jesus. So membership, we do it once a year because I believe it's something for us to recommit to. You make a decision and then you forget all about that decision. You ever have a subscription for a magazine? You're like, why am I still getting this magazine? And you're just too lazy to go and cancel the subscription, so you just let it renew year after year, but you're not actively thinking about it. We renew membership every year because I think it's very important that we actively choose to commit to a community, a group of people on an annual basis. With our time, with our finances, we're all in this together. And we need all of you in order to keep Awaken moving forward. There's different volunteer positions that we just need for Awaken to keep rolling, whether it's the setup, volunteering with the children. There's a financial component of keeping Awaken going as well. As you'll see in the budget, we'll talk about next week. So being a member means that you're committing, you're playing a part, what you can, we're all in different seasons, we understand this, but you're saying, this is the group, this is the place where I need to be this year because it is going to help me on my journey with Jesus. So if you have any questions, we'd love to talk with you more about it. As I mentioned, membership forms are on the back table. We try to keep it as simple as we can, but we also realize there's something about putting your name, putting pen to paper, and taking a stand and saying, yeah, this is my group. So what do you want from this year? What do you want from this group? What do you hope God will do in your life, 2024?